This morning, we will be thinking about the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, Jesus coming to this earth and taking on full humanity. Two weeks ago, and this is so cool, we have preached the same three sermons in a row at Foothill and here at Santa Cruz Baptist. So two weeks ago, we discussed seven reasons why Jesus had to be fully human in the carnation. Last week, we looked on the promises, the prophecies, and the good news of the incarnation. In other words, Jesus showing up as a human actually was no surprise. It was promised and foretold throughout the entire Old Testament. So let's take a look this morning at the actual event, the incarnate birth of Jesus as told by Matthew's perspective. And as with each of the last two weeks, it is our hope that the more we grasp the wonder and the magnitude and the beauty of the Christmas story, the more it will draw us into worship, to sit in awe at the feet of Jesus this Christmas. And just as we did last week, would you start by turning to the very beginning of the story? Turn to Genesis chapter 1. While you're turning, Genesis, the very word, as Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, defines Genesis, it's the origin or the coming into being of something. In a sense, Genesis is how it all began. And so in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, God creates all things. He creates man and woman in his own image. He creates us to glorify him and to have a relationship with him. So let's focus in on this Genesis. Let's focus in on this origin, the beginning. We're going to read the first five verses, Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, and if you see that Hebrew word, it's the origin it's the beginning of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. Do you see the rhythmic pattern that is taking place that goes for all six days before the day of rest? But I want you to capture this one little part. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the darkness of the chaos of creation, the Spirit of God moved, hovering over preparing for the effectual creative word of God to come forth in breath. Did y'all catch that? That happened in the origin, in the beginning. And then the pattern for each of the six days of creation is established here. There is a, the creative word, and God said, let there be light. There was B, the report of its effect. And it happened, and there was light. Then there was C, 
God's evaluation, it was good. And then D, at times the sovereign naming, and God called the light day. And then D, or E, the numbering of each day, there was evening and there was morning on the first day. God the Father, God the Spirit, at work in creation. But what about the third part of the Trinity? What about Jesus Christ? Is he at the genesis of creation? God reveals to that, to us, in another beginning. We look to the book of John, chapter 1, another genesis, showing us that Jesus is the Word. Through him and by him all things were created in the beginning. So let's read John 1, verses 1 through 5, and then finally verse 14, and we will notice four things from this passage. John 1, 1. Sounds a little similar to Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, in the origin, how it all started. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see the similarities? First, it's important for us to note that Jesus is from before the beginning. He was not created in the beginning. He was there creating. He was there breathing out the very word. He is the word. Second, Jesus was with God in the beginning, fulfilling his role in the Trinity from the beginning because he was before the beginning. Third, to note from this passage, Jesus was and Jesus is God. What a statement. He was God. He is God. He will be God for all of eternity. He was not a God as the Jehovah Witnesses put in their Bible. If you ever want to really make a Jehovah Witness Ask them to pull up John 1.1. 1, 1. And then you ask them, you're telling me that you say that Jesus Christ is a God? Wow! You are in trouble. They stand right out at the hook almost every day trying to tell us lies. This was the very focus that Matthew was honing in on in his gospel to his audience, the Jewish people. Jesus Christ is God. The word Jesus Christ is eternal. The word Jesus Christ is in relationship with God. And Jesus Christ is God. It's kind of important that we know that and understand that this Christmas.
But let's drop down a few verses to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If those three weren't important enough, this one is hugely important. Jesus, being fully God from the Genesis, from the very beginning, became fully man. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And they witnessed this person, Jesus, in flesh and blood, and they witnessed his glory. As fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins, something we, humanity, could not atone for ourselves. As being fully human, Jesus could be our adequate representative and our substitutionary sacrifice. Again, something we could not do ourselves. This Jesus Christ, the incarnate, and then you go, I don't even know what incarnation means. Is that a breakfast drink? <laughs> it is not. The incarnate, incarnation as defined again by Merriam-Webster. Check this definition by Merriam-Webster. The unity of divinity with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. You think they're teaching that in our schools today? But that is a dictionary. The unity of divinity with humanity in Jesus Christ. The embodiment of a deity or spirit in an earthly form. That, my friends, is incarnation. And we witness the incarnate birth of Jesus Christ. You have to ask yourselves, how did this physically happen? How did it happen? How could God send his son to become a child? Well, let's go to the third passage that has Genesis language in it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 for the rest of the morning. Obviously, you would go, I'm catching your rhythm. We were in Genesis 1-1. We're in John 1-1. So what would any good little Christian kid say that we're in now? Matthew 1-1. Rob gets the star of the day. Matthew 1-1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The very same words that start the other two. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Genesis, the origin of Jesus Christ physically becoming man. I wanna give you a little fascinating side note that wasn't supposed to be in this sermon this morning, but I just thought it was really cool. As you go through the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, there's a repetition to it, and you can get into this poetic, repetition that most people don't want to preach. That's why we skip right to verse 18. But the side note is that there are five women noted in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 1. To just check them out pretty quickly. Verse 3, by Tamar. Verse 5, 
by Rahab. Verse 5 again, by Ruth. Verse 6, by the wife of Uriah, which we in parentheses know as Bathsheba, but they were scared to put her name in. By Tamar, by Ruth, by Rahab, by the wife of Uriah. And so now we drop down to verse 16, and we would go, here comes the fifth one. We know the word that is going to precede the woman's name, don't we? And that word is going to be? By. Matthew 1.16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And you go. They change the rhythm. I was used to this rhythmic dance of by Tamar, by Ruth. Where's the word by? Why the change all of a sudden, Matthew? This genealogy consistently repeats the father of slipping these five women with the word by until it comes to Mary. And that point, Matthew changes and says, of whom was born Jesus? Of whom is a feminine relative pronoun, clearly indicating that Jesus was the physical child of Mary, but that Joseph was not his physical father. And all the Jews go, what? Matthew goes into great detail showing how this miraculous conception and physical birth the genesis physically of Jesus Christ comes together. And he does that in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And so let's break Matthew 1, 18 through 25 down. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Divorce, or resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What a great passage. It's a passage every one of us know because our grandparents probably read it to us before we had to open up gifts. This passage is huge. This passage is what brought up the Apostles' Creed. Every birth comes scripted with flavor. We're so excited to see how y'all's birth ends up taking place. I don't know if everyone knows this. We have had three births 
at Santa Cruz Baptist Church in the last three weeks. I didn't know that that would get the clapping from my sermon, but we'll take it. Lydia June Davis, born November 30th to Chris and Juliana Davis. What a gift from God. Porter Cruz Hardwick, born December 14th to Kyle and Kaylee Hardwick. And less than 12 hours later from her birth, Noah Rose Gindel, born December 15th to Ryan and Jemima Gindel. Wow. What a gift from God. Each of them scripted in their own creative, flavorful ways that I will leave for them to tell you the story of their birth. Now let's move to the genesis of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, born probably not on December 25th, but realistically born in 5 BC. Again, that will mess with some of your heads because you would have guessed he would have been born on? And you were wrong. Jesus Christ was born in 5 BC. How do we know that? He was born six months after John the Baptist was born. He was born in Bethlehem. And we know when Herod died. And we go from that date historically and we move back to when Jesus Christ and John the Baptist was born. Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem to Mary, the wife of Joseph. What an amazing and yet controversially scripted birth. Verse 18, the betrothal. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Again, Matthew's explanation has to be understood knowing Hebrew marriage customs. Marriages were arranged by individuals from their parents. Contracts were negotiated. After the betrothal contract was sealed and the money was given to the father of the bride, the individuals were considered married and they were called husband and wife. They did not, however, begin to live together and they did not consummate their marriage. Instead, the woman continued to live with her parents and the man lived with his parents and the husband began to prepare a place for the couple to live. A mansion, a big, big house, as described by the theologian Toby Mac. <laughs> then, sorry that you older folks didn't catch that one, but that's okay, Bob. <laughs> then, when the father of the bride said, Son, it's time, go get your bride. In a grand processional march, the bridegroom with his attendance, with trumpet sounds, leads his bride back to their home. They celebrate the wedding with a seven-day feast. They consummate their marriage physically, and then they begin to live together as husband and wife. 
Oh, but not the story of Jesus' birth. In Jesus' birth, there was a bombshell. Look at verse 18. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Mary is found to be with child during her betrothal? That goes against everything in the Jewish custom. From God's perspective, it reads, and Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And I want you to catch this. From Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the darkness of the chaos of creation, the Spirit of God was moving, hovering over, preparing for the effectual creative Word of God to come forth. Did y'all see that? As in Matthew 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over this precious servant, Mary. In the darkness of her betrothal to Joseph, the Spirit of God moved, hovering over, preparing for the effectual, creative Word of God to come forth in flesh, and Mary was with child, God incarnate. So many people try to sexualize that. They try to... Excuse me. Explain it away in some other crazy way. Do you know that in the genesis of creation and in the genesis of the incarnation, the Holy Spirit was hovering over, moving, preparing for the effectual creative word of God to come forth. And Mary was with child, God incarnate. And what do we say? Amen. But from Joseph's perspective, can you just pause a minute? Joseph, in all these nativity scenes, is this passive man standing there doing nothing, getting no respect and no credit. But that's not the true nativity. From Joseph's perspective, this bombshell, before they came Together, she was found to be with child, and he didn't get the next four words. Mary and Joseph had not consummated their marriage, and yet Mary had been so faithful. Can you imagine Joseph's heart? Can you imagine how broken He must have been. He genuinely loved Mary, and he was excited to be preparing a place for her. And here they go, and then this bombshell. And yet word came that she was pregnant. And now being a good Jewish just man, Joseph knew the law. Let's look at the law. Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 and 24. 
If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. That's pretty dadgum specific. It's also pretty much something churches and pastors have not preached to kids throughout the past few hundred years. The law. Why don't we protect our kids? That's a question for a later day, and Drew will be back to preach it. (laughs) But I just want to tell you teenagers in this room, the law is not here to shame you. The law is not here to chastise you. The law is also not here for you to have to be told, well, you just got to know it. The law is here in love. This law in Deuteronomy 22 is here in a protection. There was sexual immorality then, and would you say today? The law is here to protect us, to protect you. You would say, what is it protecting me from? And I would say years of pain and heartache. I would say years of wounds, years of scars. And that's just one part of it. We could go into the physical reasons why the law saying in Deuteronomy 22, stay pure before marriage. It's a good, right way. The law. Yet Joseph's love for her was demonstrated in his actions. He chose not to follow the letter of the law in Deuteronomy 22. He decided not to create this public scandal by exposing her condition to the judges at the city gate. Such an act could have resulted in Mary's death by stoning. And so what did he do? He turned a page over to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 says, When a man takes his wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found, he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. A much more loving tender law that Joseph is pondering. Let's look back at Matthew 1, verse 20, and see the wisdom in Joseph after one of these bombshells. I call it the waiting. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, boy, that was short. But as he considered these things, 
can I just remind you, he has an incredibly grim outlook. He is looking betrayal, humiliation, shame, the gloom of loss, thick darkness. And Joseph considered these things. If I had been Joseph, I probably would have reacted quickly to try to save my face. Or some of us would have reacted in anger, but not Joseph. He had been shamed, but his concern was not for his own shame. His concern was for Mary. And so he considered these things. We could learn a lot from Joseph, couldn't we? You ever had a bombshell? You ever had a time in your marriage where your marriage felt like it was about to dissolve and you can't handle any more? Have you ever had infertility and you were just gripped in so much loss? Have you ever lost a child? Have you ever gone bankrupt? Have you ever and on and on and on? Have you had bombshells? Every person in this room either has had or will have bombshells. Our reactions many times to bombshells really shows us the depth of our heart. Joseph allowed for the word of God to come to him. Did you catch that? Joseph waited. Joseph listened. Joseph pressed into God in the midst of this tempest storm. Joseph considered these things. Then notice the timing of the angel's appearance. It is carefully placed between Joseph's resolution to divorce her quietly and Joseph's implementation of the divorce. The revelation, verse 20. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And he goes, why didn't you tell me that earlier? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That phrase, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, is profound. First, it's relieving to Joseph. Oh, his wife has been faithful. His wife has been faithful. But theologically speaking, in those very words is the ultimate testimony to the virgin birth that fulfills prophecy. Those very words bring the testimony of the holy angel from the Lord God himself. It is so profound, it's etched in the Apostles' Creed in 140 A.D. And it's etched in the Nicene Creed from 381 A.D. It is foundational 
to our faith. And I remind you what we read in our scripture reading. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the very virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and on and on and on. That script of Jesus' birth is a big deal. We don't just glance over it each Christmas. And we get to the naming. Look again at the two phrases from the revelation from the angel of the Lord. In Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two truths come from this. First of all, his name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Our sin in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, from the origin, is what separates us from a relationship with the one true God. Our sin keeps us from relationship with God. And the very name Jesus makes the way by saving us from our sins. And if that's not good enough, number two, they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He is God incarnate. He is fully God. He is fully man. This is what Matthew is carrying through his entire gospel account. Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He is the everlasting father and he is our prince of peace. He is Emmanuel. Remember, he is the answer to the words that were being spoken by the prophet during one of the darkest days in Israel in Isaiah 7 through 9. He is the answer to the words that were being spoken by the angel during one of the scariest and darkest days for Joseph and Mary in Matthew 1. He is also the answer to the words that are being spoken by you and me when bombshells come upon us and we are experiencing darkness in these very days of 2022. The name of Jesus speaks words of hope. He speaks victory. He speaks light and joy this Christmas. There's hope amidst our distress. He is the very light piercing through the darkness. So what did Joseph do? Did he say, yeah, but you don't know how big this bombshell is. I got to save my face. No, Joseph's response is in verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph could have followed the letter of the law. He had every right to do so. But the letter of the law was not applying because she was not in sin. He was not in sin. They were being obedient to God. Instead, Joseph responded in faith. 
He was trusting that he was part of something bigger than his own solution. What a step of faith to marry a young virgin who is with child, to not consummate their marriage until after this child was born, and then to protect her from the criticism that awaited. He not only responded in faith, he responded in obedience. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he called his name Jesus. And this very child will save the people from their sins. This child will be the one who will bring true and lasting peace to his people. Are you experiencing that peace today? That is the question for the morning. Oh, I believe in Christmas. I believe in Jesus. But there's no peace in my life. I would say look deep in your heart. Look at Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who don't know that Prince of Peace. That peace comes through this child. Would you respond to him in faith? Do you see the vastness and the beauty of who this child is and what this child will do? <coughs> Excuse me. He is worth putting all of our hope in for eternity. And we turn finally to our response. Each and every day, each one of us has a decision to make. Will I put my hope in my own wisdom? Will I put my own hope in my own provision? Will I look for me to be the solution to my problems? Or will I put my hope in this child? If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can respond today. You can respond this moment. You can respond in your seat. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to do. You just have to cry out to Jesus and say, save me from my sins. I need peace. I need this wonderful counselor. I need this mighty God. I need the everlasting father. I need the prince of peace. Believe in him. And just as with the last two weeks, I hope that when you look at the nativity scene this Christmas and you're drawn to it, you don't just glance over it, but you worship and awe this child born in Bethlehem. Consider why he came as a man. Consider the waiting, the promises, the prophecies that led up to his birth. Consider the good news of his coming. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, came to this earth to save us from our sins. And he is with us. He is with us. He came to this earth born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life. He went to the cross and he died in our place. He took the full and just wrath of God on your behalf and on my behalf. He was beaten, he died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. 
and he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated Satan. For those of us who would respond by, print, by repenting and putting our faith in him this Christmas. And that, my friends, is the genesis of our faith. The Holy Spirit hovering. God the Father. God the Son. This child is where we place our hope and trust this Christmas. He's given us an amazing gift, and I pray that you receive it. Let's pray.